Hello and welcome to the Public Health Insight Podcast. My name is Sully and I am joined by four of my friends. Gordon, LaShawn, Ben, and Will. And we will be engaging in an interactive discussion of the latest public health issues affecting you and your communities all across the world. Before we move on, it's important to note that the views expressed in this podcast are our own and not, do not represent any of the organizations we work for or are affiliated with. So as we mentioned, our primary focus is on issues of public health and global health importance. In our first episode, we'll be highlighting the significant challenges from the ongoing 2019 novel coronavirus or COVID-19 pandemic, altering life as we currently know it. So what have you guys been up to over the last couple of weeks? Anything you want to share with us there, Ben? Uh, so yeah, I've been working as a researcher at uh, one of the academic hospitals in Toronto, and it's part of University Health Network, UHN, which is just a group of hospitals. Uh, one thing that they've had us do, or what we volunteer to do, is kind of assist in screening the hospitals, uh, because you, as you know, there's a lot of immunocompromised patients there. And to be honest, looking at the screening, it's pretty intense. Like People are coming in with face masks, full... Um, um, protective gear on their face has nearly shy of a hazmat suit so we're seeing people being screened for the covid symptoms but then what's kind of worrisome is that as more information is coming out regarding the um, disease is that people may be asymptomatic i think it was 20 percent of cases are asymptomatic that end up being tested positive so it's worrisome how like even our screening may not be effective in the long run and who are getting screened? Patients needing emergency services? No, it's anyone who walks to the door. Like you have to get, there's different like versions of screening. It's like first there's staff, obviously, and then you get screened. Hey, do you have any symptoms? And then you show your badge, et cetera, et cetera. And then patients as well, even if you're a visitor, et cetera, if you're just coming in for the day, everyone's getting screened. There is no, um, no leaks through that screening process. So, like, mainly using, like, a fever gun and, and what what other types of screening, like, questions so, about travel so history be, it's and stuff a, like that? It's, yeah, travel history, um, not the fever gun from what I've seen. Maybe it's being used at another site, but it's mainly screening for the major symptoms of coughing, fever, uh, sore throat, shortness of breath. As soon as that happens, it's... Uh, you're asked to wear a face mask and you're asked to have certain precautions if you're traveling through the hospital. And I don't know the exact specifics of it, but there is a lot of care being put into place. And on the uh, other end of the spectrum, you have LaShawn. Uh, how's the treadmill there going? <laughs> <laughs> you want to talk about what you've been doing? Uh, this guy is helping heal the world and you're uh, running on a treadmill. You want to talk about that? <laughs> Yeah, we've been told to stay at home, I guess, more to prevent the spread of coronavirus, in Toronto at least, and I'm sure in other parts of Canada. Um, but I kind of want to take it back to a couple weeks ago when I was in one of my classes for global health at McMaster University. Um, we were in class and all of a sudden everyone just stared at each other and it was the announcement that WHO made of declaring COVID-19 a pandemic. Um, and after that point, everything pretty much escalated very quickly, and it kind of led to a lot of cancellations of classes, um, our excursions abroad to India, um, the cancellation of many practicums, and it kind of led to the school overall just closing, which forced a lot of 
students to go back to their homes away from university. And so there's been a lot of online classes and um, a lot of funny memes online as well for online classes. So it's been pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, the treadmill thing was just me trying to work out and stay fit to pass time, really. Have you, have you tried rice yeah. bags? Well. <laughs> That's funny. I, I actually saw a meme of someone on a treadmill with rice bags just trying to get a workout in. It's, the people are pretty creative, I think. You're doing your part, LaShawn. <laughs> All right, let's bring uh, the Mr. Government official in, uh, Will. Uh, yeah, where's Will? What's going Come on? Here. What's going on on your end there? What's Trudeau saying? I, um, what's Trudeau? You know, I mean, so I think it's today would be the sixth day in a row, five or sixth, where the the prime minister has been doing daily announcements for the to the nation to the Canadians at home and abroad and kind of just updating everyone on the situation. Um, I think starting earlier last week, um, there's been daily briefings with the Minister of Health as well as other ministers, um, also and the, the Chief Public Health Officer, just talking about um, providing an update on just the COVID situation in Canada. Um, for us federal public servants it seems like we uh, most of us at least are all working from home Um, i think it's pretty much a government-wide message that um, unless you are essential services and you are um, what is 100 needed in the office that it is um, recommended for you to stay home Um, you know still work still work but just do it um, so that you are distancing yourself from those around you and yeah you know just so the continuing it, to do our work the issue of social distancing so that seems to be a point of emphasis to flatten the curve i know recently the prime minister has banned uh, certain kinds of travel international travel if i'm if i'm not mistaken into mm-hmm. into canada do you think what do you think what do you, i'll open up the floor to everyone do you think that's an effective strategy to ban travel to limit the spread of covid well, um, I can start. I feel like that's, I feel like banning travel and travel res- restrictions um, is an obvious m- measure to combat the spread of COVID-19, right? Because, um, I mean, currently there are um, reports of community transmission, but prior to that, around the time when the prime minister did announce these travel restrictions, most of the cases were from individuals coming back to Canada from travel abroad. So um, I feel like that was and and, is an effective measure. And a lot of countries around the world are beginning to implement these travel restrictions. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Right. And that's a good point. Anyone else have any thoughts? That's a good point because I think... Uh, the last time I checked uh, Thursday, I think 20% of the cases uh, were from community transmission. So to your point, 80, 80% or more are from returning travelers or contacts of returning travelers. So I think that's a good point. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so I uh, like the last uh, the last couple of weeks I've been like following like uh graphs here and there seeing like how the growth of 
uh, coronavirus is uh, like the size of, of its growth in uh, a lot of countries around the world. It, it seems like from the graphs, it seems that um, Asian countries like uh, J- Japan, Korea, and including China, like they're, <laughs> I mean, let's say they're flattening the curve as best as they can uh, compared to European and Western countries. Um, I mean, like it, 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 com- it comes down due to like their authoritarian way of doing it more than us. It's, um, it's like, you know, like uh, isolating everyone, quarantining everyone like as early as possible. Whereas in Europe and uh, Western countries, it was, it's, it was like, it, it was very slow. Their action was very slow from the beginning. Yeah, I've noticed wow. that. I have, that's an interesting point. I have actually here some statistics. Um, so as this was as of um, March 21st, around 5 p.m. So the mortality rate for COVID-19 was around 4.3%. So um, there were close to 13,000 deaths and a, a bit over 303,000 confirmed cases. But that's globally, right? But if you look at country-specific, for example, I have here Italy. They had 4,800 deaths and over 53,000 confirmed cases. So that's that's close to a 9% mortality rate. And so you, you just really see here how um, globally people might be saying, oh, you know, um, COVID-19, the mortality rate is much lower than the 10% um, mortality rate of SARS. But looking at individual countries, I can see the uh, rate here in Italy easily um, matching SARS and even exceeding that. I, I have a question for that because uh, it's an interesting t- statistic. But did those stats like when we're looking at those stats, are we considering like the age demographic of Italy or like are they a generally an older population? That's why they're more susceptible to the virus. Like, is it fair to use those statistics and then compare them to another country? That's a good point for sure. I th- I think Italy does have an older population. Yeah, and that's a that's a very good point. And to 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 piggyback on that point, I think um, I'm I'm not sure that quite fully explains it because um, at one point when Italy had about half the number of confirmed cases as China, they had an equal death toll. So I think oh, okay. there, there might be another issue where uh, perhaps. Um, there's a disproportionate uh, testing going on in different countries. So uh, mm. the denominator isn't going to be, it's probably more accurate in some countries than others. So Yeah, and, uh, and it makes a huge difference if like testing is mandatory for each individual. And, you know, part of it is like if it's free or not. And yeah, like if everybody is tested, like for example, like I heard in Korea they're doing that and for free for everyone, even on the road. Um, yeah, like, uh, definitely it would make a more accurate denominator and like, you know, like proportions would be accurate. This is definitely a very, um, complex issue and it's, there isn't, like, doesn't seem to be, um, one single answer and it's very multifaceted for sure. Um, one issue that I really wanted to get your guys' opinion on is, um, considering the fact that the, our indigenous population in Canada has a much higher risk for, yes, like more susceptible to you know diseases and and whatnot, and 
have higher rates of you know um, tuberculosis and just everything everything of that nature. Um, like what what's your like what what do you guys see going on there in that in that community or in that population? Well, it's see. So I'll start off here. I think it, the prime minister echoes your sentiment because in the uh, I think it's the stimulus package. There is uh, some funding earmarked specifically for indigenous communities. I think it was three hundred and five million for uh, in, indigenous people in Canada. Um, obviously, that raises questions on how that money will be distributed and who is able to spend it and what they can spend it on. Was um, it actually three hundred and five million? Yeah, I believe it was three hundred and five million. Oh, okay. In the, in the in the package. Okay. okay. Indigenous, and then I think it was an another group of people who are disproportionate disproportionately affected are homeless people, and I think the two hundred million dollars will be going to shelters and food banks or uh, across Canada. Yeah. So I think um, it's good to see that they're incorporating the social determinants of health in their decision making. Yeah. Another thing that I um. I saw on the news the other day is that they're limiting travel to provinces up north, like the Northwest Territory, to limit the spread of diseases for these vulnerable communities. So I think that's just another measure they're putting in place to limit the spread. And a lot of the, we have to remember that a lot of these communities don't have the capacity to deal with any of these outbreaks of coronavirus. So they're just trying to put in everything they can in place right now to limit that spread from even occurring. Well, Sean, I have a question. So, regarding what you just said, yep. So, I'm I'm very um, I'm not very educated in this topic. So, I'm just just for clarification. So, when you said that they're limiting travel up to the territories to um, restrict the or prevent the spread um, to, to these to these populations up there, um, are there also not indigenous populations in the in the other provinces? Like why are they only kind of implementing these measures for the territories and to, to prevent the spread into territories? Shouldn't that kind of be broadly done across the country so, so that um, it is into um, indigenous reserves or whichever, yeah. things like that? Yeah, definitely. That's a really good question. Um, from what I've just heard on the news, um, I heard them specifically talk about the Northwest Territories. Um, but you're right, like, I know there's a lot of communities being affected by this and a lot of them don't have the capacity to deal with such outbreaks. And I know that they did have many discussions with many indigenous leaders. Um, so I think they're just working together at this point to make sure they have a plan specific to their community just to make sure it works for them. But yeah, and I'm, I'm not too sure about anything else that's been going on. I don't know if I anyone think else has something to add. Yeah, so part of the reason I think you might be observing that is because in Canada, the provinces also have the power to make decisions for their provinces so uh, and territories. So I think from just hearing you guys talk, it seems like the territories have made a decision to restrict incoming to protect the health of their own people, which wouldn't necessarily have been a federal response. So maybe that's why... Um, it doesn't really address the needs of other indigenous reserves around the other provinces. Yeah, Plus, good point. Based off, good point. based off the healthcare structure, um, the provincial government or the territory's government would have to u- decide how to use the funding from the federal government, right? So, right, 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 right. We may not be privy to that information, but I'm glad that something's actually happening with that because they are a very uh, vulnerable population. 
All right, so just to uh, switch things up a bit, I know it, when you look online, I mean, social media is even more important now since people are at home social distancing, and um, I imagine internet consumption has went up. So when you see, you know, people put out infographics about other diseases that have had um, a higher death toll, for example, uh, seasonal influenza uh, kill, has killed more people in one year than COVID has. You know, what kind of what would you say to someone who's making that argument? I would say that a vaccine exists for seasonal influenza and one does not exist for COVID. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. I'm not sure how um, yes about, about this point, but I'm just gonna I'm just gonna hear me out here. Um, I know that COVID um, it infects a lot of people in a very short amount of time, and I'm not sure if seasonal influenza has that capacity. Like there were over 100,000 confirmed COVID-19 cases in around 53 days, and I don't know if seasonal influenza sees that kind of spread. Mm. Just, a, just a thought. Yeah. Um, on to Will's point, I think um, they have something called the R naught value, which is a good indication of how the disease spreads. So I think for COVID nineteen, it's estimated to be around two to three. So that basically means one person who's infected can potentially spread um, the virus to two or three people. Um, whereas the seasonal influenza has R naught value of around one point three, so that also might play a factor in this as well. Yeah, and regarding the R naught, like that's like one person to two or three persons, and then after that, each of these people would spread it to two or three persons more. So like it's exp- it goes exponential yeah, from there. Exactly. Um, I wanted to also get your take, just as consumers of social media, I know you guys are on WhatsApp, Facebook, and all those other sites. Um, Did you guys notice any sort of steps of precaution these sites like Facebook, YouTube have taken to ensure there's no misinformation being spread? Because personally, I noticed when I'm on YouTube, there's always a link to the government of Canada's official website or the WHO's Mm -hmm. official website. Have you guys noticed anything similar to this? Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, like this uh, advertisement you've been saying, like that's under every video that talks about the issue. Yeah, and I think uh, um, just to move across the border, I think that one of the problem is um, when people who are supposed to be reputable and credible sources, uh, hint, hint, the American president, uh, when he goes in his press conferences and he says things that he believes are truth, and uh, you have doctors like Dr. Anthony Fauci from NIH saying other things and contradicting the president. I think there's there's a big mistrust that comes from that. And uh, you see kind of a retaliation on these social media platforms. Yeah, definitely. I mean, adding on to that, we can even say it's closer to home how the Ford government handled this uh, outbreak at first. We had Toronto Public Health you know, saying stuff that I think we could all agree on. And then we had Doug Ford saying, no, nah, you could just go out for 10 days, do whatever you want. And then having to backpedal on that really made a lot of confusion in terms of, is this a serious outbreak? Do we have to take this seriously? Yeah. So we went from people not taking it seriously to all of a sudden mass panic. And now we had toilet paper shortages. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I'll tell you, if you're asking me what I saw on social media, I saw people hoarding toilet paper. 
Yeah. So, yeah. you know. You know what's interesting, actually? Um, you you bring the point that people may not be taking this seriously. This, um, this the spread of the disease, the spread of the disease seriously. Um, I think it's also a matter of how um, organizations have been kind of spreading information about COVID nineteen. Because I know a lot of the dialogue initially was that uh, COVID nineteen only affects or like uh, predominantly affects older. Um, the older populations. Right. So I'm just, mm. I was just curious um, to know your thoughts or to hear your thoughts about um, has this affected the behaviors of younger people? Because I've seen uh, videos of um, a lot of young adults and teenagers on the Miami beach or going out and just having fun in, in close proximity to each other. So do you guys think that there is some sort of issue with the messaging here? Absolutely. I think, um, well, from my from my experience and what I've seen, it seems that um, people who are in their 20s are okay gathering in large groups and hanging out with each other because they don't feel like they're at risk. Um, but however, people in their 20s or whatever, if they're going home to a person who may be at risk, aka their parent or their grandfather, I've seen, I'm sorry, grandparents, I've seen them be much more cautious. Mm-hmm. I think it's very contextual to a person's living situation. I think part of the problem was uh, in the early stages, everyone was relying on China's data. And in China's data, uh, I I think the death rate uh, seniors were seniors 70 years and older were disproportionately affected. I think they made up uh, 75 to 80 percent of the deaths. I stand corrected on that. Um, so I think when everyone was relying on that data and then um, seniors and people with underlying health conditions were advised to take the necessary precautions uh, in that advice, it nece- well, it, it, people who are 20s and 30s maybe felt they were excluded from being at risk. So I think that might have contributed to the problem. But now mm. we're now we're seeing in the states that um, uh, at this in New York in particular, I was watching the press conference from uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo for New York, the state of New York this morning. And he was mentioning that uh, in New York, 40, 40% of cases that they, in New York State, uh, are people who are 18 to 49. Mm. And okay. they they accounted for I believe twenty percent of the hospitalizations. Jeez. So I think now the, the reality was previously based on the data we had, that was the best recommendation. And now we're seeing that as we learn more, more people are at risk than we previously thought. And I think th- there's this concept here that people may not be understanding that it's a very fluid situation. Right. So. It's yeah. a hard concept. It's it's you know when you say something one week, and then you maybe contradict yourself next week. It's because the data keeps changing, and I think for the lay person that might be a tough concept, and it, that kind of feeds into the mistrust and confusion. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So because you you get into a lot of fatigue of like oh I shouldn't be doing this now oh I shouldn't be doing this now at this point I don't care anymore I'm just gonna live my life right, right like right. this is very unprecedented for all of us 
in our time because we're in full like lockdown here, you know, and like how often are, is this going to happen? No one really has experience with it. Like people aren't used to staying in their homes 24 seven for like more than five days. Like I'm, I'm seeing people go out and take walks and that's great for your mental health and for exercise. I'm not saying don't do that, but there's also a risk for it, right? Because people might take the extreme of like, oh, I can go out for a walk. I guess I can go party again, you know? So Yeah, and you can tell that that's the case because like, I mean, have you visited uh, Netflix recently? It's, <laughs> do you see like the first rated movie on there? Oh, yeah. What is that's it? Right. I have no Freaking idea. Freaking Contagion. 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 Uh, I actually haven't heard of the movie. What is, is that? A yeah. What, what is it? It's I a mean, movie. I don't want to spoil it's, it or anything. It's a movie about yeah, epidemics. Oh, is it based uh, on yeah. fact or fiction? Uh, it's based on. They tried to have it as realistic as possible. The, I believe the protagonist is uh, an epidemiologist and yeah, oh, okay. yeah. played by <laughs> what's the what's the chick from uh, Titanic? Rose. Kate Winslet. Oh, yeah. Kate um, Winslet, yeah, played by Kate, yeah. Kate Winslet is an epidemiologist. And they kind of, like, I think we were discussing early off air about terms like social distancing and things like that being in the movie. So, Whoa, when did that movie drop? They, they dropped social distancing? Like 2011 then? or 2013? I don't know. I, don't I think, think it was earlier than that, Sully. I think it, oh, I wow. think it was in the 2000s, to be honest. I'm not sure. Yeah. Did, yeah. did they well, fill in flatten the curve? Definitely after SARS, though, because, like, yeah. they mentioned oh, SARS yeah. and, like, they go on. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that um, we all did our master's of public health at Western University last year, and we didn't come across these terms like flatten the curve or social distancing. So it's uh, definitely interesting to come across that when we're facing this pandemic now. Flattening the curve. Uh, what What is your understanding of flattening the curve? Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean to the layperson who, uh, who maybe I, has heard it but doesn't know what it is or why you need to do it? If you can. Fair. I mean, fair. yeah, to me at least, what flattening the curve entails is just the idea that if we weren't taking any sort of measures, precautions um, with respect to COVID-19, I think what it's basically saying is that our health systems will be overwhelmed. Like we won't have the capacity to take care of a surplus of disease um, or of diseases at the same time. By flattening the curve, by taking preventions, um, social distancing, limiting travel, and all these interventions that are aimed to limit the spread, we're basically taking the steps to kind of dampen the effect on our health system. So it's prolonging um, like a surplus of diseases to just come out at once, which would overburden the system and really collapse our health system here in Canada. So I think just, it's, yeah. No, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so I just think it's really about making sure we have the capacity to deal with this outbreak. Yeah, but a I, lot of people don't know about that. And it's interesting because um, as of, like, I think March 21st, UHN, University Health Network, they sent out an email to all staff saying that there's a change to visitor policy and they're, they're only allowing access to the hospitals on the basis of compassionate grounds or special safety needs. So you can't even really visit the hospital or go in anymore because AKA screening is, as I mentioned before, very resource dependent. And we're kind of already running out of personal protective equipment 
resources because you just can't constantly keep screening and screening over and over again. And because the virus is evolving and what our knowledge of, is of it, is screening even effective? Like we're talking about flattening the curve and how we're supposed to make it through it by like social isolation for the next two to three weeks. But here we are already getting an email from one of our major hospitals in Toronto saying that we can't even let people in anymore, you know? Yeah, that's a good point because in uh, in Italy, the, um, they're finding that uh, in some areas, I, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the cities in Italy. I uh, believe in you. In, <laughs> in some areas, there there's been hospitals where 20 to 30% of the staffs has been have been diagnosed with the, the frontline staff so doctors nurses been diagnosed with covid so that's significantly so it's not even overwhelming the healthcare system in terms of putting sick civilians in hospitals it's overwhelming the healthcare system in terms of getting health professionals sick and then that also decreases the capacity of the healthcare yeah, system definitely. yeah yeah so um ben I, that's a very good point that you brought up about um Yes. the lack of personal protective equipment. Mm. I want to kind of ask you guys, what do you guys think, um, I guess, are some of the potential factors that is is, is resulting in this? Because I know this, this lack of um, PPE is not only in Canada, but it's a global shortage, right? It's seen across all around the globe. So I'm just kind of interested in getting your ideas on what are some of the potential like, factors that are contributing to this. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I don't know how big of a factor this is, but like, I know, I think it was Ben that touched on this earlier that people were hoarding certain items. I know that it's a big thing that everyone wants to wear masks because they think they'll be protected if they're wearing it all the time. Um, Mm. But I think as a result of this hoarding, the supply chains have been affected greatly and Mm. you can't get these masks to where it really needs to like go really. To these hospitals where these frontline workers are working with these patients affected by COVID nineteen. Yeah, I think, and usually the oh, wait, sorry. Um, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Um, the um, yeah, and these masks are uh, like they're not even the right type of masks. Usually, like mm-hmm. they're only protect. It's like the mask they usually uh, get. It's only protecting them from you, but it's not like a two way thing. There's like special masks, so masks it, that are like surgical mask you're referring to. Yeah, right. right. There are like there are the ones that are like that insu- like insulate uh, all around your um, your uh, nose and your mouth. Is that like, the these N95 are, mask you're referring to? Yeah, these are okay. the correct type of mask. Like it's okay. perfectly sealed. Right. These are like so like not so like people are just like taking whatever mask off the shelves and like not realizing. The difference yeah. here. Yeah, like even with those N95 masks, like you have to go through a pretty um, rigorous testing um, for a fit with that. Because I remember when I was volunteering at one of the Toronto hospitals, I had to go in. We had a specialist that fit a mask over your face to make sure there was a proper seal to mm. ensure that um, everyone or you, you will be protected during any sort of outbreak. So Yeah? Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's a very good point because I feel like um, individuals who in the in in the community or just the general population who maybe if they did get their hands on these N95 masks but didn't have the correct seal on it mm-hmm. in their minds they might think that they're fully protected and they would just go out and you know do their do their daily tasks right. but actually mm-hmm. they're putting themselves at a greater risk you know 
because right. not not only are they are they having like an like a improperly sealing ma- like mask, but um, I believe that Dr. Tam, the chief public health officer of Canada, said that wh- if you are wearing a mask, you are uh, putting yourself at a higher risk because you'll be touching your eyes, your mouth, your face much more and more frequently, right? Yeah, the illusion of safety. Mm-hmm. And that also applies. Of, oh, sorry. Well, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to add. I think one of the one of the other potential factors for this global shortage could could I guess mean potentially be linked to it's just a complete halt and just yeah. breakdown in like the the market, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm 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 thinking like countries that are pre I guess previously major exporters of PPE like gloves, masks, um, even hand sanitizer during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, you know, maybe internally they've just been keeping it for themselves and not exporting it to global markets. And that you know potentially led to, I guess, this global shortage that we currently have. And I know for a fact that China is probably one of the major manufacturing nations and given the i guess the position that they were in i guess the last couple months possibly you know resulted in what we're seeing today right and just to add to that right so in the in the states in particular they have something called a national stockpile and they i believe before the 2009 uh swine flu pandemic they had um they, they, they were more involved in, and this goes back to pandemic planning. So they were more involved in pandemic planning. So what happens with the national stockpile is that when those supplies were um, rerouted to hospitals, they never got replenished after the swine flu epidemic. So the U.S. did not have their res- the reserve to combat another pandemic. So then hmm. they're relying, and then that ties back into your point, where all masks now are, the masks that are going to be used next week haven't been manufactured yet whereas before it was a matter of okay it's at the warehouse let's keep shipping it so now mm-hmm. we have to, we have to realize on we're waiting from the time of production to shipping to getting to where it needs to get to so i think the whole supply chain like will said from manufacturing down on to maybe even transport has been affected yeah and you know it doesn't help that um, certain companies, um, I don't want to name drop them because hopefully we'll get a sponsor at some point. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, I know that they were, there was like a dummy with the hazmat suit on kind of trying to uh, just, the store was trying to promote selling this as a safety um, precaution for pe- customers to buy. And like to the general public, to the general public. And not even that, I think, just having like masks like Sully say that don't protect you, but like making it or showing it as it would protect you, I think it's very deceiving to the public. And honestly, like we're in public health or an aura health field, and we're kind of more exposed to, um, I guess, health related knowledge, and we're thinking about health more. But for the average consumer, I think if they see a mask, they're probably just going to buy it and think that it protects them, right? Better right. safe than sorry. I mean, if you got nothing with it and you're going to take the first chance to buy something, yeah. right? Yeah, and the shortages also go for the hand sanitizers. I went oh, to. Oh, God. Um, oh, yeah, that too. Yeah, I went to a department store recently and it was completely sold out. Completely. 
Yeah, your your whole point on kind of profiteering from these natural disasters. I think this morning we were talking about um, someone uh, going around to healthcare providers selling fake COVID tests or something like that. Oh yeah. Oh so yeah, I, yeah, yeah. So that ties into that whole point of you know, there's always some people that try to profit from even yeah. the, the worst and, uh, of worst disasters. Definitely. And even on, I think they like banned people on Kijiji and Amazon from selling hand sanitizer, Lysol wipes, uh, right. masks and those Price gouging. things too. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Doesn't Costco have like a no return policy on toilet paper, hand sanitizers that for all the hoarders? Maybe, uh, but I noticed yeah. uh, they have now, I know, and I, I was wondering why the this wasn't mandated from before when um, the panic started to set in. I think I thought having uh, limits at all grocery stores or all supply stores was an essential part to make sure that, you know, because there's a whole equity piece with it, right? Because the people, the people who can afford it are going to be the ones to get first dibs. And then the people who can't afford it uh, are going to be left behind. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, that the whole pandemic response it's something that you have to plan before a pandemic, and we're not really sure if that was the error or is it is it the scale kind of overwhelmed? You know, you can plan for certain things, and it's it can turn out worse than what you thought it was going to be. So I'm not sure. I think um, the situation like it, it sucks, obviously, but we also have to give the benefit of the doubt that hindsight is 2020. Like we're right. dealing with our first major pandemic. Everyone's kind of focused on what is this thing? How is it evolving? And not enough, um, I guess, focus or attention is placed on these things because you don't know what to expect it, right? And yeah, I um, think, yeah, sorry, go ahead, Sully. Yeah, uh, sorry. Um, yeah, and I, I'm very optimistic, actually, about this because, like, it's not really, like, this uh, pandemic, it's not really, like, a big deal, say, compared to a plague. So, like, like it's, of course, way lower mortality, right? But, like, what I'm hoping is, like, the population now is going to learn from like uh, what's happening right now and during this pandemic and, you know, like, uh, you know, figure itself out for the next one, you know, because probably there's going to be a oh, next God, one. Like God a, forbid, like a hope big we one. don't get a next one. Yeah. Hopefully not. But like if it happens, we, we know like what to do because like we've learned from our experience here. Yeah, I'm personally, I'm optimistic about a few aspects, at least. Um, firstly, I think that a lot of the grocery stores or chain stores are having earlier hours so that seniors or people that have um, maybe issues going at certain times of the day to pick up stuff when it's all sold out, mm-hmm. um, they have these early hours to allow them to get their fair share of essential items. Um, and another thing that I'm optimistic about is how many companies, especially in Canada, have stepped up. I know that a lot of automotive companies, production companies have been in contact with the federal government offering their um, their capacity to build um, certain items like uh, ventilators and stuff like that. And even, I guess, even community members. I know I'm on a lot of um, different Facebook groups for our local community and a lot of people are offering others that they would go um, pick up groceries, pick up essential items for them. So there's mm. a lot of good that's happening as well. And I'm very happy to see a lot of it going around in our community. Everyone's helping each other. Yeah, definitely. 
If only that got more news coverage. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, because like we usually cover like the problems, not the not not these, you know, the good things that happen usually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, guys, I I think we've had a great discussion, and I'm sure we have lots to talk about, but we're gonna have to hold it off till next episode. And just remember, public health is a field of inquiry and an arena for action to improve lives, one population at a time. This has been the Public Health Insight Podcast. Please follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast. Thanks for listening.